Welcome to the Talking with Tata podcast. I'm your host, Andy Schneider, also known as Tata. I'm so excited for you all to listen to today's podcast guest, who is Ashley Gildenspitzer. She is a fertility and surrogacy consultant, mom to two, one being carried by her, one by surrogate, and her children, boy and girl, are four months apart. She has the most incredible story. You're actually going to notice that I don't say much. I just listen. And I hope you all listen to her story and just her opinion where it's okay to not be okay. And she is really the first person that I know of that is making herself vocal. When you're going through fertility treatments, anyone who's in the in the place knows every month feels like a year. Mm-hmm. Like time is your worst enemy. There are a few agencies that she really works with and recommends, CCRM being one of them, and we'll put that all in the notes for the podcast. She also has a fertility friends of friends group where people feel free to ask questions to rely on her. She gives information on there. She is also part of a new uh, group called Nodal, which is Bumble for Surrogacy, where essentially you can find your surrogate through this app, which also reduces cost. She's a mom of two. She manages to still work full time. Having these two twiblings that she calls them, which, you know, basically having kids and taking them to class, but also relying on her partner and her nanny. And it's okay to rely on other people. And one thing that she said that I really loved is she preps everything. She is type A, but her most important goal for each day is just to balance her energy and plan ahead and just make sure, you know, again, if you're happy, your children are happy. Just as a reminder, each episode, we are going to do Tata's tip of the week. And today's tip of the week is teaching imitation. And I think it's underestimated that children really learn to communicate by copying you. They hear you, they see you. If you say ba 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 ba, eventually your child will find it silly and they will go ba 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 ba. So you really want to learn how to copy actions and you want your child to learn that from you. So teaching imitation, this is what we want to start with. It's such an important skill. And why is it an important skill? Well, it starts with eye contact and just gestures. You can clap and your child will eventually watch you clap and will copy that. So you start at the gesture level and then you can go to sounds, ma, 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 or vroom and making a car sound. And that's really going to teach your child how to imitate sounds. Eventually, they will start imitating words, which is really the goal for everyone, right? Trying to get those verbalizations. So you would then say mama, dada, tata, whatever word you want them to say. So it really starts at birth, just teaching them. You say it, I say it. You can imitate them. If they make a silly sound, imitate it. If they make a, you know, a little sound with their lips, you can imitate that. And then they will do that as well. And that's such an uh, important skill. So you can practice this by clapping, blowing kisses. You can even practice it with sounds like ba and moo. And eventually the goal would be saying words like mama and dada. So please enjoy today's episode, and we will put all the information of where to find Ashley in the bio. I am very excited to welcome Ashley Gilden Spitzer, who, Ashley, you are an IVF, NICU, and surrogacy warrior. I'll give you a little bio before you kind of tell us your story, but... After a three-year long battle with unexplained infertility, you welcome two babies in 2021 who are four months apart. And I'm extremely excited, honestly, for our listeners to really just hear your story. And it seems as though you're extremely passionate about bringing awareness to and really normalizing infertility. And there's such a strong stigma around that. And I'm excited that you are really kind of 
breaking the barrier of that stigma and just sharing your own personal experiences with us. And I appreciate that. And I will kind of let you start us off. So tell us a little bit about your background and just really your story, if you can summarize that for us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm a big fan of your podcast. Thank you. Yeah. I honestly have really taken on a role of becoming a fertility advocate. And I joke that I'm trying to make surrogacy cool um, and just really <laughs> make it cool again. Exactly. Really normalizing what many um, women and couples are facing today. Mm-hmm. My husband and I got married back in 2017. And I think it's funny because if you, if you go back just to thinking about, you know, sex education, I think all of our lives were told, like, don't have unprotected sex, mm-hmm. you know, don't get pregnant. And I think. Right. First time you're going to have a baby. Exactly. Like, you know, that's that's the fear. So, you know, I. I I was so naive and 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 in a good way ignorance is bliss but I had been on birth control for years and also I think a lot of us are naive and thinking because we have a regular period on birth control that we're regular but you know birth control are it's hormones and it is manipulating your cycle we had a plan you know like most people do uh we were going to wait until early 2018 to start trying uh late 2017 after after we got married um one day just still was on the pill. My period just didn't come that month and thought it was a little strange. And I was like, you know what, maybe I'll just stop birth control now, um, get ahead of, you know, it could take a few months to get my cycle back. So I stopped the pill and and my period never returned. And I learned early on, which was something I had no idea about. I was diagnosed with something called hypothalamic amenorrhea, um, which is basically like a loss of period. So I wasn't ovulating on my own. Um, so those plans my husband and I had to try naturally in early 2018 went completely out the window. Mm-hmm. And we had to turn to, you know, assisted reproductive therapy, art therapy, um, which could be in a few different forms, um, whether that's IUI or IVF. And there are two common uh, drugs that people take, Clomid or Letrozole, mm-hmm. that basically induce ovulation. And it's a pretty uh, easy, non-invasive way to kind of try for someone like me who didn't ovulate on their own, take those pills, get monitored closely, and do you know either timed intercourse or an IUI. And at uh, this point, did you just get that from your OBGYN or did you have to see a specialist? No, I kind of went straight to a fertility doctor. Um, I had a good friend who had just gotten pregnant on like one of her first timed intercourses and she recommended her doctor. Um, and I immediately reached out. I kind of, I really liked her and I just was like, okay, tell me what to do. And at the beginning, you know, I was what would have thought to have been a textbook, easy case, you know, you don't ovulate, we'll give you drugs to make you ovulate. And then you'll try to you know, either have sex or do an IUI and get pregnant. Yep. We learned quickly that I was not um, that that easy case. I, I did actually get pregnant in one of my early IUIs, but I had what's called a, a blighted ovum, an empty sac, an early miscarriage at seven weeks, um, my first DNC in July of 2018. And that's kind of when I think I realized um, this might not be as, as we thought it would mm-hmm. be. Then, you know, insurance plays a factor. And of course, I didn't realize my fertility coverage at work had changed. So I, I'd moved on to another clinic. And I'm I'm the type of person always in my life, I like to be as efficient as possible. Like, I like to kill like 10 birds with one stone. And so I was like, I am not wasting my time more on IUI. I knew personally, the percent chance of success was only slightly higher than trying naturally. And fortunately, 
which I say with like, you know, such conviction, I had really great fertility coverage through my employer. I had a progeny, which provided me with smart cycles. And I knew the best utilization of my smart cycles was to do IVF with a retrieval and transfer versus, you know, wasting, quote mm-hmm. unquote, my benefit on an IUI. So I was at uh, CCRM with Dr. Brian Levine, and I uh, did my first retrieval. Again, I I, I, re- I was telling, you know, my friends, I'm going to do IVF. I like really, I had no shame about it. Um, I was pretty open, mm-hmm. which I later learned like is a good thing and a bad thing, especially early on. I think you do need that support, but it com- becomes harder and harder to deliver bad news to close friends yeah. um, when things aren't that easy. And like, no one goes around being like, my husband and I are having sex tonight. Like we're trying to <laughs> be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I did my first retrieval. Um, I was lucky enough. I got two normal embryos, did a transfer thereafter and it failed. And I remember like vividly just like how heartbreaking that was. I think I still in my mind thought, okay, IVF is going to be our answer. Um, And then it, you know, it wasn't, um, and not that, you know, it is not uncommon for a first transfer to fail. You know, it's not a hundred percent, even, um, the best, best scenario, I think puts you somewhere between 60 and 70% of success, but I kind of took a pause with one embryo left. I'm the type of person who, again, doesn't want to put so much pressure on myself. I know I will not like eat, sleep, breathe for those two weeks if I'm, if I'm dealing with one. So Uh, this was kind of the first time I took a step back and decided to really advocate for myself and early on ask for additional tests, which most people honestly don't do a lot of doctors um, for one reason or another. They don't recommend a lot of these tests up front. They, you know, wait for two or three failed transfers or two or three miscarriages, wow. you know, like for that reason in that it's not so uncommon mm-hmm. to have a failed transfer. And if you do have a lot of embryos left over, you know, it is worth trying again. For me, at this point, I had only one. Mm-hmm. And I had really enveloped myself in the fertility community online. I was in so many Facebook groups. I was anyone who had a friend who had did IVF. I was like, can I talk to you? Mm-hmm. Um, I really reached out for so much information and really wanted to make sure I like really did my due diligence. And I said, you know, nothing of my, um, when I did these cycles, nothing was like ever like so perfect. They weren't like your levels look perfect. Your lining looks great. It was like, I don't think they were that surprised that it had failed. Yeah. And I was like, well, then let's take a step back and see like if there's something else going on behind the scenes. So I did do a few additional tests. A few things came up that were markers for endometriosis. There's a receptiva is the name of this biopsy you can do. It's becoming more and more popular now. And I did also uh, a recurrent miscarriage panel early on. I did see an immunology doctor, which is a whole other, you know, separate path of the fertility journey that is still pretty experimental in that a lot of uh, fertility doctors will not usually push somebody to go the immunology route unless, again, they have multiple miscarriages or recurrent implication failure. But I was kind of like, I don't want to wait. I'd rather see that person now. I was always the type of person who was not afraid of the extra tests or the popes or the pills or anything that's experimental. I kind of went into this whole journey with like, I like a bowl in a China shop. And I was like, I'm just going to do 
like if you told me I had to jump up and down on one foot and pat my head and that was how I was going to get pregnant, I was like, I would do anything, you know? Right. Um, It's interesting though. You know, one thing that, look, you have this incredible journey and path and obviously our listeners are going to hear more about this, but you had to be poked and prodded and on medication and the hormones and, you know, dealing with the loss, which I'll ask you about as well. But, you know, it's, it's a lot on your body and just like the emotional and physical and emotional impact it really has on you. Yeah. I mean, I was a person who was pretty in shape. I was, you know, I would be going to the gym, you know, five to six days a week Mm -hmm. classes, type A, you know, running, like, you know, burning the midnight oil and I was getting tired. I couldn't exercise. I put on weight. I didn't feel like myself. Um, it was, it was, it was exhausting. It was like, back to back months, I could like tell you literally something I did every single month of wow. 2018, 2019, 2020 towards this journey. My story could take up an entire episode. Please so, do. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got this information. I, I decided to do another retrieval okay. first um, to get more embryos before transferring the one I had left. Thankfully, my my clinic and my doctor were very open to you know changing my protocol to adjust to try to get better results. And that retrieval, I ended up with 10 normal embryos. So I went from only having one to now having 11. Wow. Um, I was, it was like, it was a glimmer of hope in this whole, whole journey. It was like, okay, at least I know I can make normal embryos. Mm-hmm. Like as many embryos I have are more chances of a biological baby for my husband and I. Yeah. And at that point I thought, all right, I don't have to do another one of these again. And boy, was I wrong. <laughs> You know, unfortunately, the next few transfers all resulted in either chemical, which is a very early miscarriage or another, a complete, complete fail. I even put two in one time, failed again. Um, And after my fourth failed transfer, my husband and I really, before the fourth one, we had uh, spoken to some surrogacy agencies and we were we got to the point where it was like, what is most important to us? The most important thing was having a baby. Mm -hmm. Like we want to become a mom and a dad. Um, We had been working so hard towards it. And I had really gotten to a point where I had fully accepted. I might never get pregnant. Like I might not be able to carry a baby. It was a hard pill to swallow at first. But once I think I was like, bought onto the surrogacy train, I was like all in. Mm-hmm. I was excited. I said, you know what? I can take give my body a rest. I can like get, you know, back on, on track. I can feel good in my skin. I will find somebody who is amazing, who is healthy, who I can trust, which trust is such a huge factor. Absolutely. In this. And they will hopefully carry my child. Mm-hmm. This was summer of 2019, um, where we, we started pursuing surrogacy. Um, we decided to give myself one more shot. Um, I'd also done a, a laparoscopic uh, exploratory surgery that summer, lap surgery, to look for silent endometriosis, which is not a no-joke surgery. You know, I have three scars on my stomach to show for it. They cleared out stage one, two is pretty minor, but you know, again, we were looking for answers. Yeah. I was completely unexplained. I decided to do one more transfer myself in October of 2019 and it, it failed. And at that that day, I, I pretty much was one of the multiple times that we hit rock bottom. But I remember falling to the floor, screaming bloody murder, and then picking myself up, calling the agency and saying, find me a surrogate ASAP. Because it told them we wanted to wait to give myself one more chance before we went that route. And we got we got really lucky. I mean, before COVID, things were moving in 
much faster speeds uh, in the surrogacy world. Two weeks later, we were given a profile in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. You know, at the time, it's important to note surrogacy was not legal in New York. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was one of three states in the country where paid surrogacy was not legal. So we knew we had to find a surrogate elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And I was very open to wherever the surrogate lived. It was more important to me to be the right fit than location. And this Um, agency was the one to say, this is a fit. Is there a genetic testing involved? Like, Is there any other information you needed? Great, great question. So, you know, I think a lot of people don't really fully understand surrogacy at all. And not anybody could be a surrogate. In order to be a surrogate, you have to have carried a baby before. So you have to have, you have a proven uterus. You have to have the healthy delivery, no preeclampsia, no gestational diabetes, no early delivery. And you have to be within a certain BMI range. Obviously, you can't be over overweight, any underlying medical conditions. Mm-hmm. You have to not be on any government assistance. So you need to be financially stable. You know, obviously, surrogates are getting paid for this, but the surrogate should not be quote unquote in it for the money. They shouldn't need that money to, to get by. Um, they have to have pass a psych screening. They mm-hmm. have to have support of their husband or they could be single or like family support. Um, who's going to be able to take care and help with their children. God forbid they go on bed rest or need to be in, in the hospital or anything like that. They have to be within a certain age range. Um, so usually uh, I think the max is about 40 to 44 at most clinics. Um, so the ASR, the association reproduction medicine put out out guidelines that most clinics follow. So my surrogate uh, had three kids of her own. She had never done it before. We, you know, we had to align the, the, a lot of the agencies will make sure the way they vet and find matches is you really have to be on the same page, whether that's termination, you know, and making sure if termination is left up to uh, the intended parents, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that's for anything from uh, government-aided trisomies, uh, Down syndrome, or T21 or 18. Um, and that's also for, you know, uh, vaccinations, uh, being on the same page about getting the COVID vaccine, about getting any of the other vaccines in pregnancy, just also on communication and, and diet and things like that. You know, they do really good agencies will do a good job at finding out what's important to you and making sure you're matched appropriately. God forbid you don't want to go through a pregnancy and get a devastating diagnosis at 12, 14 weeks and your surrogate and you are not on the same page on how to proceed. Because obviously there are really strong legal contracts in place. You get a lawyer, your surrogate gets a lawyer. In the end, you cannot force somebody to terminate. If they breach contract, that is one thing, but you cannot obviously actually legally enforce for somebody. So um, it's really, really important to be aligned on those like big medical decisions, even um, about reducing if, you know, if the embryo does split and it's twins, or you put in two in embryo splits and it's triplets and you need to do selective reduction. These are all really, really important conversations to have ahead of time. There's so much that goes into it. I mean, I'm not even aware of all of this. There's so many intricacies mm-hmm. on even if the, if the surrogate works and they're on, you know, bed rest, mm-hmm. the lost wages that are going to be impacts, like all the different insur- uh, policies etc. Yeah, we got matched with with our surrogate in uh, November, late October, early November of 2019. We were super excited, feeling extremely hopeful. We were getting everything in place. Um, We were using a clinic in Boston. So she flew to Boston, we drove there to meet her, we're getting everything in place to transfer in, you know, early 2020. And of course, of course, COVID hits and puts everything on. So we were already in the med prep she was already started her meds for transfer and then the world shut down. 
obviously extremely, it was like another dagger in mm-hmm. the heart of like, you know, every, when you're going through fertility treatments, anyone who's in the, in the place knows every month feels like a year, mm-hmm. like time is your worst enemy. And I always tell people this when I, when I talk to people that I, that I work with, like never to rush something because of time, because you want to do everything right and smart. You want to do in the right order, but in the end grand scheme of things, the one, two months, three months will not make a difference once your child is here. Right. But when you're in it, it feels like forever. Uh, we got put on hold. Fortunately, once the world opened up, we were able to transfer. We transferred to my surrogate. She got pregnant. Unfortunately, seven weeks, she miscarried. Um, she had to have a DNC. It was another huge heartbreak for us. It was the first time she had experienced a miscarriage. So not only was I dealing with like, taking care of myself, but I really felt like I had to emotionally be there for my surrogate as well and comfort her, mm-hmm. which was obviously like a really it, unique experience where you're not the only person who's impacted right. by this. Struggling her, with that loss. Body, she, had to have a she was mourning the loss as well. Fortunately, um, we were able to transfer again uh, to her and we had put in two the first time we put in two again. She got pregnant again. She miscarried again. And at that point, you know, we were, we were pretty devastated. And you asked about the genetic thing, if you have to do any genetic testing with, with your carrier. So the the real answer is usually no. Mm -hmm. But at this point, my surrogate had miscarried twice, we lost four genetically normal embryos to her, you know, those 10 embryos I'd gone for my second retrieval were like literally dwindling. Like I was losing embryos left and right. We were now you know, at a crossroads where we were, we, we basically talked to our doctor and we decided that my surgeon and I were not compatible for some reason, her body they felt was rejecting our embryos. Mm-hmm. And um, we had to start looking for another surrogate. And uh, at that point it was, you know, peak COVID surrogacy, the agencies were beyond swamp, swamped um, with, with, with intended parents who were looking for matches. Wait times were shooting through the roof anywhere from like nine to 18 months to rematch for a surrogate or to match for a surrogate. I kind of took matters into my own hands. At the same time, I decided I now only had four embryos left. And I say only in, you know, quotes, because most people would die for four embryos. Yeah. But for me, I had got lost like all my top rated best quality ones. And I was really, really nervous. And so I again, wanted to be proactive. And I kind of like in my head, like discarded those four. And I was like, they're the bottom of the barrel for like, if the other eight had not brought me a baby, like why, why was this right, going to a baby? Exactly. So I decided to do another retrieval. And I was, this was my retrieval that I was saying, I'm getting better embryos for my surrogate. And I, I did, I did a retrieval. I got three normals. Again, in my head, I was like, that's not enough. We'll do one more retrieval. <laughs> and your body. I, wow. Yeah. You're tough. At this point, again, I was just willing to do anything. anything. Yeah. And at this point, I also like something inside of me was keeping me up at night saying like, you know what, I'm getting all these other embryos and I have those four left. Like, should we try one of those on me again? Like I have taken a break. Well, we could try something else. Mm -hmm. And I basically brought up this 
idea to my doctor to, um, after this next retrieval, to put back in one of the frozen normal embryos I had from January 2019 into my body. It was now like November, December of 2020. So almost two years wow. later, an embryo. I was like, I'm just going to throw everything I have at this. A Hail Mary. It's a Hail Mary, but I'm going to like do a gluten and dairy free diet leading up. I'm going to get acupuncture. I'm going to get a Mayan massage. I went and saw a healer. Wow. Um, Every in, like possible way. I was, yeah. yes. I was like, you know what? Let's just, this is really my last shot. Hail Mary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's ends a year, you know, otherwise we're going like full blown surrogacy route. And at the same time I was looking for another surrogate. I told my agency, please find me a match as soon as possible. I joined all these matching groups on Facebook. I was basically like posting an ad of me and my husband, a picture of us and like our, our story. And I, I created, um, a Google, uh, basically like a, a survey that I was sending to potential candidates to self-screen them myself. Cause I knew so much at this point of like what the agent was, he was doing. I was like, I can screen myself. You know, I know what I'm doing. Did this last transfer after my retrieval, in which I ended up getting like an insane amount of eggs. I would later get eight embryos from, and I transferred to myself and I got pregnant wow. and my husband and I basically held our breath. Yeah. You can't life. even get excited at that point. Yeah, like I don't even think we didn't tell anybody. We barely told yeah. anybody it was transfer. Like no one in my family knew. Wow. None of my friends knew. Um, it was a very, very select small group of people that were like my my fertility friends that I coined. They they had an idea. And the same day that uh, we found out we were pregnant, I had actually found somebody on Facebook that I was very interested in. And I had asked to do some extra tests to see if she would be a better match and more compatible with me than my first surrogate. And the exact same day that I got the phone call from one doctor to say, congratulations, you're pregnant. I got a call from the other doctor to say, your surrogate is genetically a match for you. Yeah. And it was one of the best days of our lives. We were kind of like, we were going to get two surrogates. Like we were going all in. I was like, give me 80 million surrogates. Literally, like I just want a baby. I will throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Thankfully, I got pregnant. I was due in in August. I would later find out with a girl. I found the second new surrogate. She was in Florida. We moved really quickly through everything. With one transfer to her, one embryo, she got pregnant. Um, we would later find out it was a boy. I had my daughter. Unfortunately, she came uh, via very scary emergency C-section at 33 weeks in um, July of 2021. Um, she had a very rough entrance to the world in that her lungs were extremely underdeveloped. Um, she spent 47 days in the NICU, but wow. thankfully she is... The sweetest, perfectly healthy, adorable. Uh, now adorable, if I must say so myself, 20 <laughs> month girl who is so happy and just sings to herself all day long. And um, my son, she might start get thankfully had a very easy pregnancy. And my son was born in Florida in November, 2021. And they are almost exactly four months apart. Wow. You have an incredible story. I mean, I very rarely just sit here listening and Honestly, I have the chills. I like my jaw drops open to your story because it's important. I think what you went through, it's not easy. You know, you say it with a smile on your face, but I think what most people, some people probably do understand if they went through any of their own fertility struggles, but it's not easy. I mean, if it's a retrieval or the loss after pregnancy, you know, there's so many emotional factors that really go into it. And first of all, I think, you know, what you're doing for everyone and you're sharing your story is really important. 
And it seems though you're sharing it on every outlet you possibly can to really get the word out there about, you know, when to really advocate for yourself and who to see and just all these, you know, I even found some specialists. Um, I don't have children yet, but I just looked at your social media and like I found out just about CCRM and just so many other specialists that you really use. I think it's incredible. And one thing I do want to ask you is, you know, what do you plan on telling your children? Are you, you're so vocal about it. So I'm assuming you're going to be vocal with them, but do you have a plan of just, you know, when to tell them, what to tell them? I will 100% be completely honest with them. I think, well, I mean, my my surrogate actually flew in for my son's first birthday. So like we've seen wow. her multiple times since uh, he's been born, which has been fantastic. And I'm so grateful for that relationship. They're four months apart. They're not twins. They're like twins. We call them twiblings. twiblings but I think yep. <laughs> they will know at, you know, an early age, why don't we have the same birthday? And so I... We'll definitely be open with them. I think we will continue to talk and show pictures and explain. There's thankfully so many books out there now that really are such a great way to introduce IVF and fertility and surrogacy to um, to your children. So I will definitely utilize those resources and continue to just share how much my husband and I really, really wanted uh, the both of them. And like, we, I can't imagine any other ev- embryos being our babies. Like, these are the babies we were meant to have, you know, embryo 11, embryo number 12, you know, transfer six transfer to me and technically ninth, you know, third transfer to a surrogate are my, my daughter and my son, just like the perseverance that we went through and the determination that we had to stop at absolutely nothing to, to have a baby. So I will definitely tell them, I mean, we get asked all the time. What if someone on the street says, Oh, they're cute. Are they Twins, yeah. you know, what do you so, say? It's so funny because when my husband and I are together, we almost like look at each other at first to be like, yeah. what are we saying today? Because usually he's like, yes, he does not yeah. like, he's happy to talk about our story, but like, especially to the random woman on the street it's or in the grocery store, like, I'm not giving you the, the lowdown of yeah. like my medical history. So I will say yes. But you know, so a few times I actually went to be like, yeah, my husband like, you know, stuttered and was like, uh, and then like, no, they're four months apart. I carried my daughter. He came via surrogate. So I'd say most of the time I just say yes and smile. People I've never realized have like a fascination with twins. Everybody wants to stop you on the street and talk to you, especially I feel like going twins. They like people are amazed by it. If I know I'm gonna have a relationship with the person or I have the time, etc., I will, you know, give them the cliff notes. But usually I just say they're twins. Absolutely. So, you know look, why do you think there is such a stigma about, you know, egg freezing and fertility and IVF and using a surrogate? I mean, I guess it's just the way of our world, but you're honestly, you're one of the only people that I know that really talks about their story so willingly. So why do you think there's just such a stigma about it? I think, you know, inherently as women, you know, we're thinking, we're, we're supposed to get pregnant. Like it's, it should be, it should be easy. You know, it, it feels like, you know, it's a very isolating process. Uh, you feel extremely lonely. Like, why is my body not work? It feels like a very female issue. I mean, male factor for infertility is extremely, extremely common. Most people don't talk about it. And I think a lot of men are maybe embarrassed by it if they have low motility or they don't have sperm. Yeah. If they're the ones with the issues, it's, it's you know, the women are the ones who are doing the shots, taking the medications, getting bloated, getting bruised. I mean, my body went through the absolute ringer. Uh, you know, I have, I have a million scars, including a huge C-section one to show for the entire journey. So I think women, you know, they feel, they feel isolated in that 
you know, why, why me? Why can't I get pregnant like everybody else? Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I feel like it really does. And I don't think people intend it when they speak this way, but almost some people feel like it's a badge of honor to become a mom. Like you got promoted, you know, in society and it becomes a competition. You know, there was a competition who's going to get engaged first, who's getting married first. And then, you know, it's so taboo to talk about even trying Mm -hmm. to get pregnant because then once you say I'm trying, then people are like, well, why aren't you pregnant yet? Why is it taking so long? Exactly. And it's so not a race. I, I, I tell this to people all the time, you know, I mean, comparison is truly the thief of joy. And it's so, so hard not to compare yourself with others, especially when you're going through this process. Because if there's one thing that is basically almost completely out of your control, it is your ability to get pregnant. Obviously, there are things you can do, you can change your diet, you can exercise, you could, um, you know, obviously quit smoking, drink less and do those factors. But when push comes to shove, like, once the the sperm and the egg or the embryos in there, like the rest is really out of your control, no matter how smart you are, how successful you, you cannot, I mean, money, all, like, all that stuff only gets you so far, like yeah. you yeah, I mean, obviously adoption is another route that you can go to have a baby and you can get egg donation or embryo donation. Um, obviously surrogacy, there's so many different paths to parenthood, but nothing is a guarantee. And I think that's like a hard pill for people to to swallow. Yeah. And I think um, social media in a way kind of makes it better, makes it worse. You know, social media is giving you this outlet and people like uh, Dr. Brian Levine at CCRM and, you know, giving you guys this opportunity. But in a way, I mean, look, it gives people anxiety and comparison. And, you know, if I looked at my page of all these moms, I would just see that everyone has a kid and I'm the only one who doesn't, you know, they're so, you're really allowing all these people to really get into your world and the comparison and just the vulnerability and and you don't know anybody else's story. Like yeah. I remember when my husband and I first moved to Upper East Side, we'd, we'd take walks and we'd see people pushing strollers and I'd be like, oh, I, I literally like dreamed of being that person. I was like, I, I hope one day this is us. And I'm sure people now see me pushing a double stroller around on the Upper East Side and they have that same feeling and they have no idea yep. what I went through Absolutely. to get there. So it's like, I tell everyone has baggage. Everyone has their own issues behind the scene. It's so important just to focus on you mm-hmm. and, and your partner uh, and do whatever is in in your power mm-hmm. that you can to get pregnant um, or have a baby one way or another. But again, sometimes you really have to relinquish that control because only so much of it yeah. is it is is able to be controlled. Yeah, absolutely. And I always tell just moms who come up to me in this community and they say, you know, my child's not speaking or my two-year-old spoke sooner than my four-year-old or whatever it is. And I say, stop comparing. Comparison is going to hurt you. And I think that's really important. You know, one thing I, I wanted to discuss with you though is you do have these two beautiful children now. So do you have any bit of survivor's guilt? You know, you got through it. You have these kids. So how do your emotions, you know, people think you must be, you know, jumping over the moon and you're so happy, which I'm sure you are. But what about that guilt? A hundred percent. I have survivor's guilt. You know, I do a lot of fertility and surrogacy consulting through fertility together. I speak to countless of women and and men every week uh, who are on all different stages of their journey. And especially ones who are dealing with recurrent miscarriages or Mm -hmm. recurrent implantation failure. And my heart, my heart breaks. And I, and I, I know, because I was I was in their shoes and it's so hard. It was so hard for me to see back then that at some point, one way or another, I would make it to the other side and making it to the other side also 
doesn't necessarily mean that like you're going to get your baby. Like Mm -hmm. there are some people who unfortunately, you know, they might say, you know what, I'm taking a pause right now. And that's okay too. I think coming to the other side is, you know, like being content with, with what you have and accepting whatever that outcome is. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's sometimes it is hard for me. I do feel like I, everything I, when I share about my kids, like it is coming with that lens of like what it took to get there. And I don't take a second of it for granted. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I think, I hope that it's made me a more patient mother. Um, I really try to put things in perspective. I don't sweat the small things. I try not to stress. Again, like you said, even comparing, I'm comparing a boy and a girl who are four months apart. It's, you know, I, I'm trying like, oh, well, did when did Izzy do this? Is, is Xander doing that? Like, and and all these things. And, you know, my, my son who's, who's younger, he walked first. Um, yeah. My daughter's older is talking more. And and they're, they're each their own individual kids. And so much is out there now. And there's so many uh, voices and so many opinions yep. in the space. I think it's so important to like trust your own instinct. You know your kid's best. And you kind of have to drown out the noise elsewhere. Absolutely. And I really hope people who are listening, you know, I want to overemphasize that just how focus on your children. Don't compare. And, you know, whether it's yourself, your kids, I mean, the way they speak, walk, it doesn't matter. Obviously, you're a huge spokesperson for the community. Are there any nonprofits or just services for those who maybe can't afford surrogacy or these fertility treatments? You know, one shot itself is a lot of money. And, you know, does insurance cover this? Fortunately, a lot of companies are offering fertility insurance now. So most of that is either a uh, a, a fixed number, like a uh, fifty thousand or a hundred thousand dollar benefit that you can use in any which way you want, mostly towards actually fertility treatments. So the retrievals, the transfers, some have, like I mentioned before, these smart cycles. Mm-hmm. Many do not have a surrogacy benefit. Some are. So I was fortunate. I had a small monetary benefit of twenty thousand dollars, which is sad to say does not get you very far at all in in the grand scheme of surrogacy. But yeah, there are companies that offer, but most don't. And it is such a financially taxing, um, just fertility and surrogacy in general are so expensive. So actually, I am involved with a uh, nonprofit, the Stardust Jewish Fertility Foundation, and they provide um, financial assistance to Jews in the tri-state area who are struggling to begin or grow their families. Unfortunately, like I said, many couples cannot afford the cost of the treatments and they um, give grants to um, regardless of denomination, sexuality and marital status. So there are thankfully a a bunch of nonprofits across the country that help to provide grants. But yeah, people are taking out loans, you know, have to borrow money uh, or can't even pursue this avenue because financially they can't afford it. And it's it's becoming, it's creating a real, a real barrier. All the factors, you know, obviously getting the embryos is, is one huge cost, but paying the surrogate, uh, agency fees, things like that are, are so much more as well. Absolutely. And I think, again, people hear your story and they hear, a little bit of the outcome. They don't think of the emotional trauma and the financial trauma and, you know, stress it takes on your family and just some people really can't do it. So I think that's incredible. This Stardust, I'm going to look into it just because I would love to help out in any way. I mean, especially, um, you know, through what you're doing. Tell us a little bit about um, this Bumble for Surrogacy group that you guys have going on now. Can you explain a little bit about that? Nodal is uh, a new company and it is an online platform uh, referred to often as the Bumble for Surrogacy. Um, and it uses, uh, it uses proprietary technology to connect vetted gestational carriers with intended parents 
parents. So like I said, this, the surrogacy system, surrogacy is becoming so, so more, I hate to use the word popular, but like very common now. And especially now that it is legal in New York, it is becoming another avenue that um, a lot of men and women or, or gay couples are, are taking to pursue their path to parenthood. So it seeks to um, improve the transparency and the efficiency of a very antiquated system. Through their app, um, it actually, you know, there's profiles for surrogates and for intended parents. Surrogates um, can make the first move when matching and also provides um, both the surrogates and intended parents with um, educational support tools. But the, the goal here really is, is to make great matches and also match people faster because so you don't have to wait in that you know, six to 18 months to find a match, you can then you can match through nodal service, and then either go to an agency or do an independent journey without an agency, which people do too. Um, you know, you don't need an agency, the agency is really important for obviously helping you to find a surrogate and vet them, um, do background checks, hold your ham, but like somebody like I was, I became so well versed in the process. I found my surrogate myself. Mm-hmm. I screened for myself. I looked up to see if she had the health insurance, et cetera. I had already paid my agency fee. So I then brought her to an agency. But at that point, if I hadn't, I could have done the journey myself. And you would have been uh, saving yourself a lot of money. Yes. Cause an agency fee can vary anywhere from like 15,000 all the way up to $50,000. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. Wow. So look, you honestly, I could have you on 20 more times because I think just what you have to say is so important. Talking about the stigma, the emotional factor, you know, what you're going to tell your children in the future. You know, obviously we have this Tata community of just moms and parents and caretakers. And a lot of people are struggling with not just fertility, but secondary fertility where maybe they had their, you know, they probably had sex once and they had their kid the first time. And then now they're dealing with it. More common than you think. You know, yeah. I... I, when I became a mom, I realized how important community was. Um, I ha- got my my quick mom village of other mothers who had babies around the same time as me, who yeah. have now become some of my closest friends. And I joined all these these mom Facebook groups, and I realized how important it was, and how much I could you know ask questions without you know any shame or stigma, stigma. or I was nervous about. And when I, while I had joined all these different fertility groups on on Facebook. I didn't feel like any of them like really spoke to me or connected on a personal level where I felt like I would want to maybe set up a call or get coffee with other people through the group or like really, again, like just make it show how, how common it is and bring awareness and realize that you're, you're, it's, it's okay. If you're, if you're struggling, you're not alone. Um, and so I actually started a Facebook community called fertility friends of friends really to provide that type of community and resources where people could share their stories, find support, offer, offer resources and really feel less alone in what can be a very, very isolating process. Absolutely. And it's been amazing to see, first of all, how many people post in it a day and a week of like how people feel so comfortable and being vulnerable and sharing their stories and sharing their losses and their wins and how people just rally behind each other to provide advice and support and like offer guidance or meet for coffee or, you know, have, have a, a virtual support group or anything like that. So it's just, a, it's a community that's really near and dear to me in, you know, I get messages on Facebook or Instagram almost every single day from wow. someone in the group or someone who finds me who, um, you know, wants to talk or has advice or just says, thank you for like, for creating this and yeah. making me, making me feel like I'm not the only one who is struggling because 
even though infertility does impact, I think it's almost one in eight couples right now. If, if you don't have a close friend or you're one of your first who's trying to get pregnant of your friend group and you're going through this, it's very lonely Mm -hmm. and the highs are so high, but the lows are so, so low. And it's just so important to have that support so that you can just keep your head up and just power through because that that's, that's what you need to do at times. Yep. Obviously you went through this very significant journey. You are now the friend to honestly, everyone I know, and just a bigger community of just, you're the person that people ask their questions to. So you're balancing having two kids, also working a full-time job, being part of this foundation, running these groups. And I mean, look, you seem to just balance it all. So what really is this like day in a life for you, Ashley? You know, how do you manage to do it? And, you know, do you have any tips for just our community of just how you can do it? Yeah, I think honestly, the most important thing is to ask for help. I will be the first to say I would not survive without my full time nanny. Um, Having two kids having basically twins, it's it is not easy. I mean, you see on Instagram, obviously, it's a it's a highlight highlight reel of people's lives. But you know, behind the scenes, there are definitely days when the kids are cranky, and there's temper tantrums, and they're sick. And I'm, you know, running to doctor's appointments, I never had so much respect for work working moms as I do now. It is it is truly a balance. And I think fortunately or unfortunately, in most marriages, the mom is like the default parent. Um, I feel very lucky that I can work from home, but my husband's in the office. So if I'm working from home and all of a sudden my kid falls is sick, I'm the one who has to t- run and drop my meetings and ship things around to, to go to the pediatrician. And let me tell you, one of the pediatrician with two babies is like, it's like running a marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not easy. So I would say, I think it's all about balancing your, your energy being like, I'm being prepared. Like I always try to do have everything ready while they're napping. So like, as soon as they wake up, you know, the, the bottles are ready. The, the, the food is ready. Just as much as you can plan ahead as possible. I, I was always a type A person and now I'm really like, make the lists, know what products are my, you know, my go-to have it sort of an idea what my kids like and make sure I have snacks on hand at all times. Um, you heard snacks- it here. Have, <laughs> have snacks, plan ahead, make your list. Absolutely. Snacks solve all problems. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I've tried out basically every product there is at uh-huh. this point. So now it's like a running joke that I'm like the go-to person to ask about for like your favorite sippy cup or, you know, the car seat or your travel stroller. Um, we've, we've recently taken a few trips with the kids and like traveling with babies is not easy. Traveling it's with no joke is yeah. like really not easy. Um, So again, anything that provides like that can make your life more efficient, help you work smarter, not harder is what I usually recommend. But yeah, it's definitely a balancing act. Even just going to classes, so many of these classes want one caregiver per child. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm like, I, I work full time. I can't go to every class. Um, I'm like, this is what, what do you do with real twins? Right. No, you know, people don't have two nannies. So it's definitely like an interesting an interesting challenge to juggle. And I'm just honestly trying to do the best I can. I think like every day, if my kids are happy, they're they're smiling, they're well fed, they, you know, they are doing something that brings them joy. And I'm literally keeping my head attached to my neck, then like, it, it, it's a successful day. <laughs> yeah, you got through it. Absolutely. And I think you've just given our whole community so much advice and 
you know, I'm going to talk all about in our on our podcast just where we can find you and the Stardust um, Foundation, Fertility Friends of Friends. But what about your personal Instagram? Can our followers message you? Where can we find you? Find me on Instagram at, at Ashley Gilden Spitzer. And also, um, you can work with me through Fertility Together. You can reach out to me there or on Instagram. And yeah, I'm always happy to, you know, take some time to chat and hear about what you're struggling with and just provide any type of support or hope. A glimmer of hope, I think, is is so is so important or just honestly a next step. When you're when you feel like you're stuck, I think it's always important to have a plan forward and a plan B. So absolutely. Yep, absolutely. as much as I can help there. And advocating for yourself. And I think that's one of the most important takeaways from all of this is really just being someone, you know, you know your body, you know your just, you know everything about yourself. So advocate for yourself. And Ashley, thank you so much. I would love to have you on again. I have a thousand more questions and I'm going to make sure everyone knows where to find you as well. Thank you so much for having me. This was so nice. Of course. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to visit Talking With Tata on Instagram and on Facebook.